In reality, the structure of our program was really thoughtfully put together and helps us to, to remain fully funded. But at the end of the day, we're a competitive bunch here. We're all fighting in the same fight and we're all rowing in the same direction, but we want to win and going home and, and stopping is not, not in our vocabulary. Hello and welcome to the SWIB podcast, where members of the Wisconsin Retirement System can turn for timely information on the investments that help fund the state's pension system. I'm Chris Preisler, Communications Specialist for the State of Wisconsin Investment Board, or SWIB. And I'm Dusty Weiss, producer of the podcast. Competing under challenging circumstances is nothing new for Derek Drummond. As a triathlete that competes in several events throughout the year, including Madison's Ironman competition, Derek challenges himself through the tough endurance races with hopes of establishing a personal best time. Derek's competitive spirit carries over to his work. As SWIB's Funds Alpha Manager, Derek is constantly challenging himself and his team to find investments across traditional and alternative strategies that will benefit the Wisconsin Retirement System and its over 650,000 members. Being an investment professional and a triathlete requires the ability to think clearly under pressure, rely on information from past experiences, and excel under different and sometimes difficult conditions. Today, we'll talk to Derek about just what alpha generation is and why it is important to SWIB's sophisticated investment strategy for the pension trust funds. We will also talk to Derek about what makes 2021 an interesting investing climate and what are the largest opportunities and threats he sees on the horizon. The SWIB podcast is a regular opportunity for you to learn more about the people and funds that comprise the Wisconsin Retirement System. Please make sure you subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode, share this podcast with your fellow WRS members, and leave a review on iTunes so it's easier for other members to find this show. Derek Drummond is the portfolio manager for SWIB's Funds Alpha Team, which allocates around $30 billion in assets to external managers in an effort to generate alpha or returns that are not driven by broad market performance. In certain circumstances, highly skilled external managers can supplement SWIB's internal investment capabilities in specialized strategies or hard-to-access markets. Finding alpha in a challenging market environment is important to keeping the WRS among the only fully funded public pension systems in the country. Derek has been recognized by his peers for his outstanding work. He was named a rising star of public fund management in 2012 by Investment Management Network, a rising star by Institutional Investor Magazine in 2014, as well as being named to Chief Investment Officer Magazine's list of 40 under 40 in 2015. He was also a finalist in the Next Generation CIO competition sponsored by Institutional Investor in 2018. Derek, thanks for joining us today and welcome to the SWIB podcast. Thanks for having me. So Derek, first and foremost, congratulations on the recent accolades. And before we get into the nuts and bolts of Funds Alpha, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? So I've always known I wanted to be in investment management as far back as I can remember. When I was 16, my grandmother gave me two books about investing and I was instantly hooked. In particular, I liked the world of hedge funds because at the time I believed it was the widest breadth investment strategy possible. So it had the most opportunity. It was the most mind expanding for me. So I went to the University of Colorado to run and study economics and get my undergrad. My senior year, I had a little extra time. So I actually got two jobs. One was at the recreation center where I met my wife. And the other was at a mid-sized wealth management firm in town where I was an intern. 
And my internship project at the time was to figure out these things called hedge funds and apply them to their client portfolios. And at the end of the project, the firm decided to build what was called a fund of funds, where you take a bunch of hedge funds and you put them in one portfolio. Over the next several years, we ended up growing the business and having about 11 people under my uh, supervision on my team. And it was just a really exciting and transformative time for me and for our business. In about 2007, my fiance then and I decided we wanted to move back to our hometown of San Francisco. And some old partners of mine came and recruited me to join their firm, which I did. And then, you know, of course, Murphy's Law happened and the great financial crisis hits. It was a very small firm just starting out. And so we didn't have a lot of clients. And so we all decided to separate and, and go our separate ways. And at that time, my largest client came to me and said, hey, Derek, we think there's a lot of opportunities that have arisen out of the crisis. Will you help us be a liquidity provider and take advantage of some of the opportunities that we're seeing in the world at that time? And that's exactly what we did. And in 2010, I got a call from my brother-in-law, who happens to be in the philosophy department here at UW. He said, hey, I keep hearing the city of Wisconsin is looking for someone that I think does what you do. I'm not really sure. Hedge funds <laughs> is what I heard. It's like, okay. Well, you know, and I was very skeptical. I was hemming and hawing about going to a big state pension plan. I've heard kind of the war stories of them being big, inefficient decision makers, slow to react, things like that. And when I came out of the interview, I was just awestruck. This was a real investment firm uh, with incredibly bright people and resources. And they were thinking about things in new and inventive ways. They had a great culture and it was all driven by this kind of quirky but brilliant guy named David. And I guess, uh, as they say, the rest is history. And Derek there, you mentioned David. David Via, the former executive director and chief investment officer of SWIB. And of course, the news of his untimely passing came up just uh, about a month ago here. And so, first of all, our condolences on David's passing. But you mentioned that he was really instrumental to shaping the culture at SWIB. How was what David built just so far and away different from many of the other opportunities that are available to someone like you? So I guess I would say when I came to SWIB, I had been in the investment industry for about 10 years, primarily in the private sector. And I kind of had this idea that we were the best and the brightest and very competitive in nature. And then I come to SWIB and it's just a whole different level. You know, the terms I use, hungry, humble, and smart, really kind of define the culture at SWIB. It's a very competitive culture that David built, but it's all with an eye towards doing the best thing we can for our clients. Humble, there's no egos at SWIB. And, and that started right from the top with David. He's a very humble guy. And smart, SWIB was you know, had a foundation of continual education and took a very academic kind of approach to our investing process. And it just permeated the entire organization. So I think David really set the pace and set the tone for the organization during his tenure. It was just transformative for me too. Really, it set SWIB up as a model public pension. And when you talk to your peers, David's influence is evident, isn't it? They recognize what he did at SWIB and how he set SWIB apart from other public pensions. Most definitely. There are few public pension CIOs that really kind of changed the game and, and are leaders for the rest of the country and the world. And David was certainly one of those. 
He was an outside the box thinker. He was able to be collaborative. He really expanded the team's ability to be flexible and invest in a way that we thought was the best. And so he really gave staff the tools to be all they could be. And certainly that was evident just in speaking to him. And so I would urge anyone listening that after you listen to this episode, go back and check out episode one of this podcast because we had a very in-depth interview with David Via right as we were starting this podcast project out. And it's just really eye-opening and it's evident, like Chris said, the way that he built the culture. But bringing it back to your background, Derek, Having spent time in, in Silicon Valley and then settled in Madison, what is it that really speaks to you about living in the heart of Midwest in a town like Madison, Wisconsin? You know, when I'm trying to recruit someone to Madison, it's a lot easier these days than it was a couple of years ago because of COVID. Everyone realizes they don't want to live in a big city anymore. But before that, I'm from, grew up in San Francisco. My wife's from Berkeley. We lived in Boulder, Colorado. We moved to Madison, Wisconsin. They're all well-educated college towns with a great culture. But the kicker for Madison and SWIB in particular is you get this great quality of life, get very nice people, you get the Midwest nice, and you combine that with a top-tier investment organization and top-tier talent. How I sell it to recruits is that this is the highest sharp trade going. So maybe the highs aren't as high as being on Wall Street, but the lows aren't as low. And the volatility is really, really low. So it's a great place to grow a family while at the same time you get to do some of the most innovative work with some of the most innovative people in the world. And that's just really, really rare beast to find. And living in Madison too, with the lakes and the running trails and all that gives you an opportunity as a triathlete to kind of hone your skills, doesn't it? Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into being a... Uh, triathlete. You and your wife take part in several competitions throughout the year, right? Including the Ironman competition in Madison. We do. And it was really a function of moving to Madison, right? So I have been a competitive distance runner for most of my life. And we get out here to Madison and we needed friends, right? So we joined a triathlon team. And on top of that, we were walking down the street. When I first started SWIB, I was walking down the street with my boss, Dominic, at the time, and they were setting up for the Wisconsin Ironman. And he said, I'm going to train in two years. I'm going to do the Wisconsin Ironman, which to me means I'm a competitive person, which means I had to do it the next <laughs> year, which is exactly what I went and, and did. The winters are cold. I spent a lot of time on the treadmill, <laughs> but when it warms up, the Wisconsin bike course is one of the hardest bike courses in all of Ironman. Not because it's the hills are long and steep. It's because they go up and down repeatedly for hours and hours and hours at a time. So it's a great place to train, but it's a hard place to train. Now, for those of us who have always only admired triathletes from the couch, explain to us again, it's a swim and then a bike ride and then a run. But what are the distances involved here? Yep. It's a 2.4 mile swim right here in Lake Monona, right outside my office. Nice and chilly. Yeah, Nice and chilly. Got to wear a wetsuit. And then you run up the parking garage and you hop on your bike for about 112 miles, go south of town and do two loops. And then you come back and you park your bike and then you go and you run down State Street and you do a marathon to finish things off. 
Now, the swim has always seemed manageable to me, personally speaking. And the bike ride, well, you know, if you just keep going and going and going for a while here. But I've done a handful of half marathons in my day. And I've got to say, Derek, that upon completion of running 13.1 miles, I've never looked at myself and said, you know, I want to do another one of those. What's the key to completing <laughs> one of these super events? So what I would say is the old adages, which I thought they were joking when they told me, but the first half of an Ironman is the swim, the bike, and the first half of the run, and the second half of the Ironman is the second half of the run. <laughs> that last 13 miles is just absolutely grueling and brutal. You're tired, you're cranky, you're out of energy. But the cool thing about the Wisconsin Ironman is there's usually about 30,000 people watching the race. And they're usually all along State Street. And that's where you really need them the most. And so Wisconsin's a, a great destination race from a lot of people because of the fans and because of the people. And it really kind of amps you up for that last, last 13 miles. Much needed shot of adrenaline there. Yep. Besides the obvious physical ability of competing in a triathlon, there's also got to be a mental aspect to that. Have you been able to find any connections between the type of training you do for those events and the work you're doing at SWIB? So, you know, I think the obvious answer, it's a, it's a long day, right? I mean, you have to have kind of mental fortitude or, you know, the mindset to be able to get through a 10 or 11 hour day, sometimes a 16 or 17 hour day. But I think it's slightly more subtle, right? Like the season starts in January and the race is in September it's a nine-month training program, and it's really all the days. It's the Monday morning in January where you don't want to wake up and go and get in the pool at 5.30 in the morning, and it's all the incremental steps to get to the race. The race is the culmination of all those steps, but it's constant improvement day after day after day. It's not like you just kind of train a bit and then you show up and the race is the end state. It really is, for me... Being a triathlete is all those days leading up to the race. And the other thing I would say is that I've never had a race that's gone perfectly. And what can go wrong will go wrong. Something always happens. And in the middle of a race, you got to make the choice and the conscious decision to keep going or to solve the problem or to give up. And that's usually not an option. So as an example, last time I did the Ironman, I think 2018 or 2019, I fell off the bike halfway through the race. I separated my shoulder and I had to get up and say, well, okay, is my day over? Well, I just spent nine months training for this thing. I said, okay, well, let's just try one mile. Then it turned into 10. Then it turned into another 20. My wife threw a bunch of Admiral at me from the sideline and you just end up finishing the race. And I think that kind of being able to deal with uncertainties, the markets are totally uncertain. You know, we get thrown COVID, right? And you can choose not to play or you can choose to fall back on your training and fall back on your mental fortitude and then keep going and solve the problem and, and keep moving. And that's the big crux of things, I think. Well, and that's what I've always really found admirable about the staff at SWIB and the investment strategies that they employ is they recognize that first and foremost, taking the ball and going home is not an option for SWIB's members because they're counting on that system to be there for them. And so there's just no quitting you folks. No. I mean, we like to say, you know, we're pretty smart people, but in reality, the structure of our program was really thoughtfully put together and helps us to, to remain fully funded. But at the end of the day, 
we're a competitive bunch here. We're all fighting in the same fight and we're all rowing in the same direction, but we want to win and going home and, and stopping is not, not in our vocabulary. So let's talk about you and your team's role at SWIB then. What is your team doing and how does it fit into the broader investment strategy at SWIB? So the way I kind of term it is all at SQL, if we had our druthers, we would manage the bulk of our assets in-house. It's cheaper and we can retain that institutional knowledge. But every once in a while, when we find a particular investment team or a investment strategy or a part of the world in which we want to invest, we will go out of house. We manage about 50 to 55% of our assets in-house. And for those times when we think it's additive and worth it for our clients, we will go out of house to capture those returns. And that's where our team comes in. Funds Alpha is part of your title in your portfolio. And we've talked a little bit about Funds Alpha in previous podcasts, but maybe you can explain for our listeners again what Funds Alpha is. I think what it means is at the end of the day, SWIB is very good at separating the market return, what we call beta, and alpha, the extra return we can extract from the market by taking incremental risk to try and go and extract some additional value. And so our team funds Alpha, we manage three lines of business, our hedge fund portfolio, our long-only equity portfolio, and our long-only fixed income portfolio. So we're really tasked with trying to go and extract a little extra return out of the market in those three areas. Hedge funds can be misunderstood and confusing. These funds have come under a lot of fire in recent years. People sometimes hear the word hedge funds and they think, Higher fees, lower returns, a lot of risk. But SWIB's using hedge funds differently than many investors do. Can you talk a little bit about how SWIB is investing in hedge funds? You're right. People hear the word hedge fund, they usually hold a negative connotation to that. We at SWIB have spent a lot of time building a structure to use hedge funds for what they are actually quite good at, and that's to deliver an uncorrelated source of return. So we are extremely particular about our portfolio and understanding the drivers of risk and return. Just as I said a minute ago, we don't need a hedge fund to go and generate market returns for us. Edwin is extremely good at that. We can do it extremely cheaply. You're talking about Edwin Denson, Managing Director of Asset and Risk Allocation at SWIB. Yep. So we don't need to pay an external manager to go and deliver that return for us. So we fully separate our alpha and our beta returns. We don't try and pay fees on beta. And then we combine the alpha portfolio that hopefully I generate for the organization with the beta portfolio that Edwin creates, and you get a much purer, much cleaner return stream. And that's a lot different than most of the peers out there. Does SWIB use hedge funds or invest in hedge funds more or less compared to other public pension funds? I think we're right down the middle, maybe a little bit lighter than our peers, but we use them in a very, very different way. Most of our peers put hedge funds in their asset allocation, so that beta portion of their portfolio, and we do not. We separate that out. And so we don't need any market return from our hedge funds, and so we probably have a slightly smaller allocation, but we're looking for them to deliver a very specific thing for us that alpha stream needs to be there when we need it. 
And of course, hedge funds were in the news a lot earlier this year with the GameStop, I don't even know if you can call it a controversy, but the very odd, very unprecedented way that people drove the GameStop stock price historically and unprecedentedly high. I'm guessing that what we saw play out in the markets with GameStop earlier this year didn't help improve the perception that many people have of hedge funds, did it? So it's a good question. And I think I think you're right. It didn't help the perception of hedge funds. And SWIB didn't have very much, if any, exposure to that. But we are believers that markets aren't perfectly efficient, right? There wouldn't be a funds alpha if we believed that markets were perfectly efficient. And things like this happen where there are different participants in the market that push prices of securities one way or the other, above or below what we think might be the actual value of the security. And to me, when I saw the GameStop fiasco happening, it actually made me a little bit more excited for hedge funds because our portfolio does really well when there's disagreement in the market about the price of a security or an asset class or things like that. And so when I see the retail investor having a particular view about a security and the institutional world having a different view about the security, to me, at some point, GameStop will arrive as its fundamental value. It just happens to be either above or below that value right now. And the different market participants coming together to agree on that fundamental value, that's what gets me actually excited about the hedge fund market going forward. You talked a little bit about SWIB's use of outside managers. SWIB is managing a majority of the assets in-house, but there are times when we have to use outside managers. Can you tell us a little bit about what makes a manager a good fit for SWIB? Sure. So at the most basic level, we have a set of principles on our team that we use to make sure we're partnering with the right groups. They have to have shown over a long period of time that they have some mode around their business that they've been able to create to extract additional value from the market. That's usually a form of either people or process. And we spend a lot of time focusing on that. We also care a lot about the risk-aware culture of the firm. They need to not only be aware of the risks that they're taking, but they need a culture of protecting capital. Alignment of interest is something that we spend a lot of time on and something we care about. We want these managers to know that they're investing capital for the people of the state of Wisconsin and to appreciate that and that their incentives are aligned with our incentives. We care a lot about an open and collaborative culture. We want to partner with transparent organizations. But these are just kind of the table stakes of partnering with someone at SWIB. Can't just be about the returns. A true partner of SWIB understands our mission and provides additional value to SWIB, either through market insights or access to investment opportunities we might not have seen elsewhere. That's really kind of the additional piece we look for when we're partnering with someone. You know, there are 10,000 hedge funds in the world, and we speak to the vast majority of them. That's our job. We look at about three to 400 managers a year. And we spend the bulk of our time getting to 20 or 30 that are the right fit for us. So we, there, we say no a lot more than we say yes. And how has this strategy worked out for SWIB? What sort of performance have you been able to get from going to these outside managers? So we've been really happy with the performance of the program over time since inception. 
And in investing, you never bat a thousand, but we learn from those experiences and hopefully we continually get better at our craft. But we've been able to deliver on our kind of low beta, steady return stream over time. So it's been a good experience and the path we've taken to get to our returns is very different than most of our peers. It's a very, what I would say, more pure kind of return stream. So last year obviously was full of a lot of challenges. And we've talked about this quite a bit on the podcast, but how did you and your team cope with the volatility in the markets in 2020? So what I would say first off is that hedge funds generally do better when there's more market opportunity. And market opportunity could mean volatility in the market, how bouncy the market is. It could also mean differing buyers and sellers in the market, differing opinions in the market. And coming into covid Volatility was fairly low, what we call dispersion, dispersion of ideas and and opinions on the market were fairly low. And so it was a thinner environment for alpha generation. And then COVID arises, and this is kind of where hedge funds really kind of shine. And so this created a very particular opportunity for us and the team. And the SWIB edge really shone through and really kind of took action in the second two weeks of March and the first week of April, and subsequently through the rest of the year. Starting in April 1, we allocated about $1.1 billion to new hedge funds throughout the rest of the year, which I think is fairly different than our peers. We moved quickly and we went to our partners. We picked up the phone. We interviewed all of our external managers. We tried to determine where the best and highest risk-adjusted return was in the markets at the time we allocated to those managers. On top of that, we had a couple a couple of our favorite traders that we didn't have money with because they were closed. They didn't want to take our money. They gave us a buzz and said, hey, Swib, we're seeing really good opportunities. Can you move quickly? And can you do your diligence quickly enough? We will give you room in our fund if you can move. And we did. And so we were able to get capacity either at our favorite managers or new managers that we have been looking at for a long time. And ultimately, throughout the rest of the year, those allocations generated a very nice return for our clients. And we did it in a slightly different way. We saw what our peers were doing, and we tried to do something similar, but slightly different. So we allocate capital in different parts of the market than a majority of our peers. And The reason we did that is because we thought that this wasn't going to be a one-time opportunity. We thought that this was going to be more pervasive, more persistent over time. We're longer-term investors, and then we thought this was going to be a two-, three-, four-year opportunity. And so we went with managers where we thought maybe the short-term opportunity might be a little bit lower, but the long-term opportunity was going to be much better. And that's playing out into this year, and we think it will continue to play out into next year. So we were extremely happy with how the team reacted and executed on the dislocation that we saw. So you just touched on it a little bit about how things look in the coming year or in 2021. Can you talk a little bit more about some of the biggest opportunities and maybe some of the largest obstacles you see on the horizon? So I think the opportunities and the obstacles are primarily the same thing. We're not sure how this reopening with COVID is going to work out. We don't know if there are going to be new strains that are resistant to vaccines. Central banks around the world have spent a lot of money over the last 12 months, and we don't know how that's going to impact things like inflation and growth. 
So those are all opportunities, but they're also risks. And so we spend a lot of our time with our managers trying to build a balanced portfolio that can generate returns in either eventuality. But the nice thing is that different people have different opinions about that, and that's pushing asset prices one way or the other and creating more opportunity for us. We're actually quite excited about the intermediate and longer-term opportunity set for our portfolio. Taking a look at your team and the funds alpha portion of SWIB's asset management strategy, as SWIB continues to grow in terms of staff and the assets that it has under management, do you see your team and the amount that you're investing growing as well? I would say yes and no. So I think it's a, actually a good thing if our assets went down because that means SWIB's getting more and more competitive and better at our craft internally and, and we're hiring the right resources and we're hiring the right teams such that we don't need some of these external managers to manage capital for us. We can do it internally. So there's a state of the world where our assets under management going down is actually a very good thing for SWIB. At the same time, again, I'm competitive and my team's competitive and the investment space is always constantly evolving and I view our team as kind of the leading edge of finding access to those strategies, those regions, and those managers that are pushing the envelope and finding the next source of return. Over time, we have this kind of old saying that alpha becomes beta because one kind of inefficiency in the market, once people know about it, then you can access it easier and easier over time. Our job is to go and find that next source of alpha. So... While I do want some to get better and to take on more assets internally, my job is to go out and find those next sources of alpha that will, over time, be the next things we bring internally. So I actually think it's kind of self-serving. Derek, this has been a great discussion today. Thanks for taking some time with us today and being a part of the SWIB podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for listening to the SWIB podcast. We will be bringing you updates on a regular basis. So make sure to take a moment and subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Also remember to follow SWIB on LinkedIn or subscribe to our email list for more information. The SWIB podcast is brought to you by the State of Wisconsin Investment Board and produced by PodCamp Media, branded podcast production for businesses, podcampmedia.com with editing by Larry Kilgore III. Thanks again for listening. I'm Chris Preisler. And I'm Dusty Weiss.